0: Hello, my name is Jim. This is my podcast, The Bloody Vegans. You're very welcome to it. Each week, I'll be travelling ever deeper into the world of veganism, discovering along the way a multitude of viewpoints from the political and ethical to the practical. I'll be doing this through a series of conversations, each aiming to further illuminate my understanding, and hopefully yours, of all things vegan. And this week is no different. This week, I chatted with Helena Murphy, who is the author of the forthcoming plant-based Crohn's and colitis cookbook, which will be released in January 2023. Um, As we discovered in the episode, there are half a million people in the UK alone uh, who are suffering from... Uh, Crohn's disease or colitis. Um, and that number, I believe, is growing. It's 1.6 million, I think Helena says in the show, uh, over in the US as well. So there are a significant number of people uh, affected by these conditions. Uh, as you will remember, if you are a regular listener, uh, when we had chatted with Dr. Alan Desmond just a few weeks ago, uh, I discovered all kinds of different things about how a plant based diet, well planned one, uh, focused on whole foods, um, can indeed uh, alleviate the symptoms of such diseases, such illnesses... Uh, as Crohn's and colitis, and um, Dr. Desmond talked about that at great length. Um, Helena is uh, somebody who has experienced that firsthand um, and wants to share her kind of lived experience through this amazing new book out in January. So um, I will do a little reminder in January when the book is released in our in the little intro of this show uh, to tell you all to head back. But I will also put show notes. Um, put links in the show notes this week. So if you are interested in finding out a little bit more about Helena and her amazing work and the forthcoming book, you can do that right now um, and get yourself on the pre-order list for that book in January. Um, so that is all to come in this episode very very shortly. Um, for those of you I met at Vegfest, uh, it was it was an absolute pleasure to see people firsthand, in the flesh, real life people. Uh, over the course of the last three years doing this show, the vast majority of them uh, have been done in a virtual setting, which is wonderful because you get to meet folks all over the globe and uh, geography is no no barrier. However, it was lovely to meet some people firsthand. So if I met you there, uh, it was great meeting you uh and I uh, and and it's a long time coming and we should do it again uh, real people in real places uh, can't beat it uh, so vegfest yep um and those of you who were there um and I didn't meet personally but you checked out the green gazelle stand um thank you for coming down we had an amazing weekend over at uh, green gazelle's uh, there it was awesome um lots of people who didn't know about the club which was exciting and kind of the reason we were there so um yeah What a great weekend that was. Uh, And normal services in terms of quality is resumed. I was listening back to the intro from last week and I was uh, sounded out of breath and it was noisy. (laughs) So I was trying to run around uh, London's Olympia looking for uh, the Green Gazelles talk, which was very good. Well done, Brendan, the the founder who did did a great job, as always. Anyway, I am rambling on and you want to get to the conversation. So without further ado, here is a conversation between me And Helena Murphy, entrepreneur, food photographer, and author of the forthcoming The Plant-Based Crohn's and Colitis Cookbook, which will be released in January 2023. Do please enjoy.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, firstly, thank you so much for having me on the podcast. I'm excited to be here. Um, so I first went vegan in 2016, around then, um, before that point, um, I think food was super functional in my life. Um. But I was working in like content and editorial jobs in the sort of big corporate world in London. Mm. And I was working in a fashion house and part of my job was interviewing lots of like bands and artists. Um, There was kind of quite a big editorial um, like aspect to the brand. Um, and at that time we started interviewing lots of like veggie and vegan, um, chefs. It was quite like a, it's obviously not a new thing. Like being vegan has been around for a long time, but especially in London at that point in time, you couldn't really go to a restaurant like you can now and just say, oh, do you have something vegan? Like they wouldn't really know like what it was at that time. Um, so we started interviewing lots of um, yeah amazing chefs and I luckily got to be on set with a lot of them, um, sort of interviewing them or taking some photos and... Um, getting to try all of their delicious creations. And I think it just sparked, it just really inspired me. It sparked something in me. And I thought just for a month, I'm going to go veggie and see how this goes. And I really enjoyed it. And I think I had like a sausage sandwich and then I was like, nah, I think I'm done. (laughs) Um, So after that, so originally it was kind of like the taste that had like really excited me. And I started watching um, all of those documentaries that were kind of exciting. Exploding At the time on Netflix, like Cowspiracy. And Mm -hmm. I read um, Jonathan Safran Foer's book, Eating Animals. And I kind of knew that it was kind of going more towards um, eliminating uh, dairy and eggs as well from my diet. So it took about six to nine months of me kind of like trying, but then, you know, accidentally eating something with milk. And I was kind of faffing for a while. And I got to the point where I was annoying myself. And I was like, no, I'm going to do this. So I just kind of went vegan after about that nine months month mark and
0: um, I've been vegan ever since. Wow awesome stuff like thinking back to that those kind of first experiences and then you starting like cooking vegetarian first and then and then ultimately vegan but thinking back to those first experiences when you were talking of talking to chefs and so on and trying this amazing food was the reality did it kind of match up to what... Did, did you get after it from a cooking point of view? Or were you kind of like, I don't even know how to create what they created?
1: Yeah, for sure. <laughs> I remember one incident with a sweet potato that... <laughs> <I do. laughs> um, you know, when you kind of... Um, yeah, you're trying to recreate... Um, what you know it can be, but your culinary skills don't quite match up. And as <laughs> yep. I mentioned, food was like super functional in my life. So, and also kind of living that sort of like nine to five, out all the time, didn't really have much time at home to kind of prep things or, or put the time in. And I very quickly learned that if you want to get better at something, you need to dedicate some time to it. But also just that prep of kind of um, looking in the supermarkets at like what you can and can't eat now, obviously, like seven years is in or something it's like second nature I know what I can and can't have but when you're at the start of that journey there's a lot more kind of like oh is this okay or is that okay and um, I hadn't really done all that much like cooking from scratch. So, like the sweet potato incident, I remember coming home from work on like a dark, rainy like Tuesday night. And I think I'd had a full day of work, then maybe I'd been to like a gym class. And I was like, oh, I'm going to make this, um, I don't know, epic sweet potato creation, like a recipe that I'd found online. But um, I remember trying to like peel the sweet potato. And, and for some reason, I was just really struggling with it. And then I remember just being like, oh, this is ridiculous. And then I had like a, a bowl of cereal for dinner. And I don't know, it was. <laughs> just like a lot of those kind of things when I first tried to go vegan but it takes time so it's just being patient with yourself for sure. <laughs>
0: and did it it eventually it came I I take
1: it oh yeah definitely um I think as well it helped that um I was like super enthusiastic about it and I was like sharing everything that I'd learned um like with my partner and um we kind of went on that sort of like going vegan journey together so we could do a lot of our cooking together and a lot of kind of like um failed experiments and successful experiments Mm. um with food so that was really enjoyable
0: how about sort of the, the wider aspects of, of veganism? How quickly did they come to you? Obviously, we're, you know, we're talking sort of from a culinary perspective, but when did the kind of the wider ethics and so on kind of come into your view? Was that Were they there sort of early on? Was that the
1: driver? Yeah, pretty quick because, um, as I mentioned, I was working in fast fashion um, and mm. then obviously sort of like reading more and more about um, like the wider ethical aspects of um, veganism, I kind of was a bit like, "Mm, I don't know if this kind of role is sitting, it it doesn't really feel like in huge, um, like in a huge amount of alignment with me anymore. Mm -hmm. Um, And that kind of was the start of my journey towards running my own creative business. Um, so in 2018, I stepped away from that kind of corporate, um, life in London and, uh, well, I stayed in London for a bit, but, um, I decided to run my own creative business. And I think that was very much inspired by my vegan journey. If you had to kind of pinpoint a moment in time where it all kind of, um, spiraled from, it was definitely that kind of waking up and I've had friends describe it like, um, you know, in the matrix where you take the pill and then you can't sort of like unsee things. Um, So yeah, I definitely um, kind of started to branch out into my own creative practices. So photography, teaching yoga, that also became like a huge part of my journey. I started my yoga teacher training in around 2017 and I studied that for a year. It was like one weekend each month. Um, And yeah, I became a yoga teacher and started doing um, like photography and copywriting and, and social media. Um, and I did that for my first year of um, kind of freelancing. And then I decided to, it was a little bit too chaotic. There's too much going on. <laughs> so I let the threads of it kind of fall away. And I, I landed with teaching yoga and um, being a commercial photographer, which um, fast forward to today, and I'm still doing those those two things.
0: It's, uh, it's so, um, you, you hear it so often, this, this kind of idea of somebody like, Finds veganism if you like, and this unplugged from the matrix kind of analogy, and then it sort of seeps into every aspect of their life in terms of their um, their view of their own work and what they're doing, and does it, and the impact of things, even if they're not directly related to kind of animals etc um but there's there's kind of like what's the impact of this you know it can be you know some often people go down this environmental route and so on so it's it's kind of fascinating to hear that um it really chimes with me because something very similar has kind of happened over the course of years in terms of like moving away from a big corporate role um into kind of freelance work and so on as a really as a result of the same kind of trigger points I was like well I, I don't really want to be part of Uh, part of that anymore you know I don't feel comfortable with it and so on it's kind of it's kind of interesting
1: Mm, for sure I'm really grateful for the experience and it definitely shaped um who Mm. I am and I don't want to like demonize corporate life it's just I knew that for me I wanted to kind of march to the beat of my own drum and it all um yeah all those threads came together at the right time and and that's just what's worked yeah for me
0: (laughs) Yeah, 100%. Did you have a bit of a network of people around you who were on similar journeys? You mentioned your partner and so on, but was there a kind of a wider network?
1: Um, Yes, um, but not one that we kind of already had um, sort of like pre-existing, but we did fall into a really supportive, lovely, uh, like vegan community in London, like at that time. Um, And I would say a large part of how we sort of Um, became friends with those people or became integrated into that community was when we um, published a vegan coffee table magazine. Um, We don't run it anymore, um, but it was called Omnom Magazine. The name started as a bit of a joke and then we couldn't think of anything else and it stuck. (laughs) Um, And we just wanted to yeah, tell the stories of businesses who were launching vegan products or services, um, tell the stories of, you know, parents who were trying to raise vegan kids we really covered it from lots mm-hmm. of different angles so it's like lifestyle angle um, brand and product angle food angle we talked to chefs about sustainability and and all sorts so that was really really enjoyable experience um, and we put that magazine together ourselves like obviously i'd worked in editorial and content so i had that background um, and my partner did as well so we were quite well equipped um, And then, yeah, we didn't really know what we were doing. We bought a book that was called (laughs) How to Publish a Magazine. (laughs) Right. And we went by the book. Um, And it was great. It was really, really fun. Um, But it was back in the day where you kind of had to order a load of copies and then a whole crate would, like, arrive at your house. And then you were like, oh, shit. Like, (laughs) now I've got to get rid of, like, a thousand magazines because they are just sat in my living room. Um, But through creating that magazine, um, we became friends with loads of awesome people um, in the community and... um,
0: that was a really, really enjoyable time. Yeah, can I ask a yoga question? Mm. I, feel, I feel like I'm pivoting. Yeah, like, you could. But <laughs> but But um, it, it kind of it, it was intrigues me. I remember like the first, um, the first kind of vegan fe- which was before the um, the podcast actually started. And the inspiration for the podcast was uh, something that happened at a vegan festival back in twenty. 20- 19 I want to say so pre-Covid and there was a, a guest speaker there called Joy Golding she was a lady from California who was a yoga teacher and she said um, the, I think she opened up a, a talk with um, if you're doing yoga and you're not vegan you're just stretching <laughs> and so whenever i speak to any yoga teachers i love to sort of talk about that so um it would be good to get your perspective
1: yeah okay so the reason she probably said that is um because yoga is like underpinned by sort of like eight limbs of yoga um which kind of go beyond the asana which is the the third step and the asana is like the shapes that you make on the mat but another Mm. is ahimsa which is like non-violence so i guess what she's saying is um you know, eating animals is violence. And to be a uh, true yogi, in air quotes, uh, you should practice nonviolence. But I mean, I don't necessarily uh, agree with that statement. Um, yeah. Obviously, I'm, I'm plant-based, but in like a really non-judgy way, I think everyone, like no one yeah. learns through shame, like other people or yourself. If you're shaming yourself, you're not going to learn shaming others. It's not the best way to kind of move forwards. Um, I think that attitude of kind of um, judgment is also not very yogic. So there's that level too. Yeah. Um, and I think everyone comes to their own sort of, boundaries and their own standards like in their own time and and that's totally fine
0: <laughs> that yeah that's really interesting because i whilst i've spoken to a, a number of, of yoga teachers they've not really talked about it from that perspective of like well, actually there's a judgment in that statement mm. and that's that's kind of really fascinating to me it is you from your experience is Are the two kind of hand in hand quite a lot from other yoga teachers you speak to in that yoga community? Like, does veganism get talked about a lot from that Ahimsa point of view?
1: Mm, Interesting. Uh, It's not like a conversation that comes up a lot with sort of my friends who are yoga teachers. And some of Mm. them are veggie, some of them are vegan, and some of them are not. It's not really something that is a huge point of contention in our our conversations or in the community. No. That's kind of fascinating. Yeah, uh, it's interesting. I just thought I'd ask. Yeah. Yeah,
0: <laughs> so, so fast, fast forward. When when did you get to Bristol? So you you moved from London. You mentioned.
1: Yeah, we moved um, from London in 2020. So we arrived in Bristol like three weeks um, before the pandemic, like shut everything down. Right. Uh, which is wow. an interesting time. Mm-hmm. So this this year is kind of the first year that we've really been able to kind of enjoy Bristol and all of its kind of open, normal, beautiful glory. <laughs>
0: And and Bristol's kind of renowned for for vegan culture, um, and uh, it'd be, be good to get your sort of your findings on that as somebody who's been here for been there for a couple of years, and then uh, like you say been able to actually experience that in the last year what's your your findings been
1: yeah it's it's a really really um, amazing uh, vegan food scene um, obviously London is as well um, but towards the end when I first arrived in London um, I had that um, like youth and enthusiasm and passion to kind of move all over the city to explore all the new hot spots that were opening and and towards the end I definitely got a little bit lazy as I think tends to happen um, so I would say the benefit of being in Bristol is like that all very close <laughs> yeah. so it's a smaller city so lots of uh, vegan options that are they're that all close by which is amazing um and yeah there's a mixture of kind of places that are just purely vegan but then there's places that are kind of um cater to all but have like great vegan sections like on their menu um so yeah we're really spoiled here there's there's so much choice
0: so cool so cool so, so tell me about the book. When did when did the inspiration for that start? Like, let's let's talk about that journey.
1: Yeah. So, um, so as I landed into into Bristol in 2020, um, uh, I've obviously mentioned that my freelance career was kind of teaching yoga and being a commercial photographer. But when I arrived in Bristol, um, and everything was shut down. Um, I didn't have any of those kind of pre-existing connections or relationships with um, studios or students here. So I was kind of panicking a bit. I was like, oh, no, what am I going to do as like my main um, sort of source of income? Because in London, I'd been teaching like 12 or 13 classes a week. It was my primary source of income. At that time in sort of 2018, 2019, I'd only been doing maybe one photo shoot per month. I was really kind of easing my way into it and learning learning the trade, learning the craft. So when I got here, um, yeah, my partner was like, mm, I think you're going to have to flip the, um, the way that you're doing things so that photography kind of takes up more of your time. And then as things open and we can kind of meet with people, then you can build yoga back into your life um, in Bristol. So that's what I did. And I put a big um, concerted effort into um, getting better. We had obviously all that time at home, so I could shoot yeah. a lot at home. My specialty is product and food. So it's not as if I had to be shooting weddings or with people so it was luckily I was very fortunate to be able to do a lot of that at home Um, so I really kind of put my mind to learning shooting with flash um, really getting good at sort of styling and um, learning how to use Lightroom I think at that time before I'd done any training um, if there are any photographers listening I wasn't really sure how Lightroom worked properly I had like 13,000 images in one catalogue which if you're a photographer will make you laugh Um, (laughs) so yeah, so so basically that was my kind of journey into kind of centering photography a little bit more into my life. And then um, I was diagnosed with um, Crohn's disease uh, last year in 2021. And um, I finally got to remission uh, this year And um, when I was finally feeling a little bit better, the idea landed with me, really just kind of landed in my head, kind of came out of nowhere, um, that I wanted to create a cookbook for people with um, Crohn's and colitis. Um, So it's called The Plant-Based Crohn's and Colitis Cookbook, and I've written it and photographed it, and it will be coming out in um, January of 2023.
0: Wow! Awesome. Well, congratulations. That sounds like an awesome achievement to have uh, to have, have got to this point where you're about to release this amazing book. Thank like you. T- talking about the, the the diagnosis and then so on. Like, did you at that point kind of instantly think, okay, I need to look at my nutrition and make some tweaks and changes? Was that kind of like front of mind? What was that kind of journey like to sort of discovering the the benefits of? of, you know, a well, well-planned well plant-based diet?
1: For sure. Um, so when I was diagnosed, like, my medical team um, have been amazing. Um, but I would say that the focus of the treatment was very much on, like, medication. And medication for Crohn's and colitis is very important. Um, like, the medication that I'm on now got me to remission, and I'm very, very thankful for it. Um, but there was no mention at all of kind of diet or lifestyle factors, and they do play a role. Um, so no one was kind of asking like what do you eat or you know how stressful is your life what is your job or like how much movement do you do but obviously just from kind of lived experience of moving my body a lot and already being plant-based for many years I knew that um, what you eat has an impact on on how you feel and like your recovery time when you exercise and and your general well-being Um, so I did um, seek out a nutritionist who could support me um, through that aspect and And she was kind of laughing. She was amazed. She was like, I don't understand how you you can be reporting to feel so well, but you're anemic, you're like deficient in all of these things, you Mm -hmm. have an active Crohn's disease, you're in a flare, Like you shouldn't really be feeling as well as you say that you're feeling. Um, So she did attribute that largely to um, eating a plant-based diet and to moving my body regularly to kind of help manage stress and things like that. Um, So, yeah, I knew already... Um, but she obviously gave me lots of extra tweaks and and things that I could incorporate more to kind of round out um, what I was already doing. Um, and then in the yeah in the process of putting together all of the recipes for the cookbook, I'm kind of drawing on on my lived experience of cooking for Crohn's disease, um, as well as kind of some evidence based research with the likes of Dr. Alan Desmond. who He had on the podcast recently. He's been really inspirational um, for me um, in my journey because he's a gastroenterologist and he's a big advocate of plant based diets for for all of his patients, but particularly those with an with an IBD diagnosis.
0: Did you have to make many significant changes? Was there was you know was there was your diet before you know quote not that there's any sort of bad or good I think everything's in you know but was it was it generally uh, a positive diet before you you mentioned that you you know that your dietitian your nutritionist was saying. You know, i 'm amazed you're, that you're not showing you know more or feeling more of these symptoms and attributed that to your diet. would you say like you know by the by the sort of the the Dr Desmond kind of textbook if you like was was your diet pretty on point or did you have a lot of work to do in terms of like removing processed and things mm. like that what what was it like
1: yeah i think it was kind of like maybe 70% of the way there but there's always like right. more that you can do right um yeah, of course. and i think in general the the kind of the advice and this is kind of what my what my cookbook really focuses on is um, removing like spicy foods spicy foods can really trigger um, Flares if you have IBD, um, removing caffeine and really like limiting alcohol intake, Um, really focusing on kind of like a whole foods approach. So, as you mentioned, um, kind of eliminating as much as possible like the ultra processed foods. Um, And I would say beforehand, we definitely relied a lot more on kind of like, you know, like the um, air quotes fake, uh, like sausages or, um, you know, things like that. So, Uh, and again you don't have to be perfect you should still have to be able to enjoy your food so it's not sort of like a a never again attitude but it's more just kind of in moderation you know Um, and then also um, kind of eliminating uh, raw or like uncooked vegetables so a lot of people with IBD struggle to to digest um, vegetables that have not been cooked so a lot of the recipes in my cookbook for instance will be um peeled, so removing the skins and then really cooking down so that everything is as soft as possible. Um, and I would say as well that like a blender and a food processor have become uh, like my best friends. A lot of the recipes, again, in my cookbook yeah. are kind of um, I want to say like pre-digested, but you know what I mean—kind of like already mm. broken down as much as possible to really help with that digestion process. So lots of kind of warming soups and stews uh, that just have like no spice and a but still flavorful, um, but just yeah. nothing that's going to aggravate.
0: What What was the process of putting the the collection of recipes together like? like did you was this kind of quite straightforward? Like you mentioned, this is quite my lived experience. Here's the here's the recipes I've got let's just put them all together or, or was there quite a bit of research into like well this works for me will that work for everybody let me let me try
1: yeah for sure it's a mix and the, I would say the thing with um, with IBD is that um, everyone has like very different triggers so while I might be able to tolerate mushrooms okay someone else might be like oh no I, I really can't eat mushrooms they don't sit well with me mm-hmm. um, and there's no kind of rhyme or reason to it so it's not as if it's like a certain right. group of food like nightshades or you know something like that so I think I've done a lot of consideration into trying to make the recipes as adaptable as possible and to give um, substitution ideas so you know if you can't tolerate onions maybe swap them out for shallots or if you can't tolerate garlic maybe you could try a garlic infused oil just things like this because obviously like while I'm creating it um, I'm trying to include as much variety as possible so that I can kind of um, you know diversity is great in a plant-based diet but then also just in terms of like I don't want all of the recipes to focus on to tomatoes. And then someone's like, well, I can't yeah. tolerate tomatoes. And 70% of your recipes are tomatoes. So, you know, just trying to kind of um, incorporate that balance. But in terms of what I wanted to put into the cookbook, again, I already kind of had a great idea just through um, having experienced what it's like to, you know, at some point in my journey, I could barely eat solid food at all. So there's quite a lot of like, um, you know, those like spreads and sauces and smoothies and and all sorts of things.
0: Wow, it's yeah, it's just amazing. Like uh, the the scale of um the scale of it, I'm I'm interested in as well. Like, I mean, I'm not expecting you to necessarily know the stats, but from your experience, is is there? Is there a lot of people in that those kind of situations, like experiencing the kind of symptoms that you experience with IBD, with colitis, and so on? Um, I just, I just, I'm just intrigued as to like the yeah, the, I do, and I actually the level of it.
1: I think I do. I, in the cookbook. I've got how many people? So over half a million people in the UK have an IBD diagnosis, wow. which is quite a lot. And um, that is a lot. In the US, it's 1.6 million, and wow. there's 70,000 new cases diagnosed in the US every year. So it is, it's quite a lot.
0: That's incredible. Yeah, and I actually had no yeah. idea what
1: it was before I was diagnosed. Um, yeah, I'd never heard of Crohn's disease and it's not really something yeah. that's talked about. It's an, it's an invisible illness. So I guess like mm. to look at someone with, with Crohn's or colitis, you wouldn't really know necessarily that anything was wrong with them. Um, And then also because a lot of the symptoms do involve things like diarrhea and constipation, you know, it's a gastrointestinal like disease, a lot of those can maybe be embarrassing to talk about. So people don't want to necessarily advertise, hey, I've got diarrhea. Mm. um, Mm. And that's another reason why it might not end up being talked about. But I was really surprised that, you know, once I received my diagnosis and was sharing that with friends and family, like how many people would say, oh, my aunt, my cousin, my sister, my brother has it. Um, yeah. So yeah, it's very interesting.
0: A really good friend of mine did it at university, and you know, talking to Dr. Desmond and talking to yourself is really fascinating. I remember when he was diagnosed, and we were at university together, so we were living together and so on, and so we were, you know, went to a hospital appointment or two, and um, I remember then he, he was told at one point cause he'd lost a lot of weight and so on in the, the treatments. That uh essentially just eat. It was a bit like the Dr. Desmond story of like eat whatever you want, you know, like so it, it was like, you know, boxes of donuts and so on, just to get his body weight back up. And um, yeah, I just I remember thinking at the time, you know, and I wasn't particularly nutritionally savvy being a young student living in Cardiff, having a having a great time. Um, but I, I remember thinking, I'm not sure that sounds right to me. <laughs> <laughs> and so many years later, it's really interesting hearing. People like yourself, people like Dr. Desmond, with your experiences.
1: Yeah, and yeah, I'm really lucky um, to have people like um, Dr. Alan Desmond who can sort of share that light with us. Um, because yeah, if you don't find out that information from from your own medical team, um, it's just amazing that people can be can be sharing that online and kind of democratizing that information for for everyone. And it is one of the first questions that you have if you have a, a diagnosis yeah. like this, because. Um, you know, yeah, what what do I eat? And uh, I think there's a lot of confusion around it and it's not helpful if someone says, yeah, eat, eat that box of donuts, that's fine.
0: <laughs> yeah. yeah, it was just like, eat calories. You just need calories. Mm. So just whatever you can get, something calorie dense that you like. <laughs> donuts like eat them mm, all of that
1: sugar is going to be really really good for your Crohn's disease yeah it couldn't
0: <laughs> could have been good it couldn't have been good but there we go um yes yeah, so, so moving on to the the kind of publishing process how, how has that been because you're self-publishing this book right
1: Yes, I am. So it didn't feel um, as intimidating as it might have felt because um, I'd obviously already been through this experience of publishing Omnom magazine back in like 2017 when it felt more complicated because we weren't um, as lucky enough to have like those Amazon print on demand uh, services like we have now, um, which again is great because it really democratizes the whole um, process of publishing. If you have a narrative and a story and you you want to put it out there, then anyone can do it, which is awesome. Um, and I, I did consider um, going the traditional route and putting together a um, like a, a pitch for um, for a publishing house, um, but at the end of the day, I thought about it and. Um, I just wanted to crack on and do it. And I didn't really want to wait for permission for someone to say, this this idea has value or this idea does not have value because to me it does. And to hopefully to the people in the IBD community, it will, I really hope it can help. and I also kind of wanted as much control as possible <laughs> over yeah, sure. how it looked. And I wanted to pick my own front cover. I wanted every single recipe to um, have a picture with it. I'm obviously a food photographer and, and the visual aspect of it was really important to me. Um, it's, it's a really bright and colourful um, colorful cookbook. Um, Obviously having the the disease is really long and (laughs) tiring and hard work. And I think sometimes uh, you can end up sometimes seeing food as the enemy a little bit. You just think, if I'm going to eat this, Am I going to be in pain? Am I going to regret this in a few hours? So I really wanted to bring um, like an element of fun visually to the cookbook. There's lots of movement mm. and hard shadows, and and hopefully it just looks really joyful to look at. So it was it was really important to me to to have that creative freedom over the direction of the book. So, so for those reasons, um, I just thought, yeah, I'm going to self-publish.
0: Yeah, hundred percent. I don't blame you, and and especially with somebody with your experience, like you know me doing it. Not a photographer without that kind of creative, um, that creative background. Yeah, I, I yeah, I'd, I'd think I'd be looking for as much help as possible. But <laughs> if if you've got like a really clear vision and like you're a food photographer, you know, would like you know what these things should look like. Had you out of interest, had, had you done? cookbooks in the past for other people
1: no I've never shot a cookbook for anyone else so I thought you know why not do my own to start off with and um, yeah it's been great I've been working on it since April so it's been um, it will probably have been about nine months by the time I'm finished with it um, but again it's it's been really good to kind of have that um, that freedom of control where um, like if I wasn't happy with something I could reshoot it or you know things yeah. like that <laughs>
0: Yeah, yeah, you're not sort of watching the the clock so much for <laughs> I'm paying for a photographer to do this yeah book.
1: exactly yeah no I'm really lucky <laughs> and um, right. yeah my partner's a graphic designer and he's been um, uh, so kind as to put together the layout for me so I haven't had to stress too much um, about that and uh, my partner's mum is a nutritionist so she's been able to have eyes on the cookbook as well so I kind of thought we've got the whole nice. sort of like family team going on here it's a great combination
0: <laughs> almost like it was destined
1: exactly <laughs> <laughs>
0: Is there any recipes that like you you you're really really proud of that you that you you know want to talk about uh, most when people ask you about the book?
1: Yeah, um, so I really love the um, vegan fish cakes. I used to love a fish cake in my pre-vegan days, um, and these ones are really delicious. Um, made with like nori, um, nori seaweed to kind of get that fishy yeah. taste as well as capers in there to kind of, yeah, get that saltiness. Uh, like a little bit of mustard um, and like the whole bread process like is really fun. Uh, obviously not on a weeknight, do it on a weekend, but you don't have to, you won't have like the Tuesday night sweet potato incident, you know, <laughs> give yourself some time.
0: <laughs> you won't end up with cereal. <laughs> yeah, exactly.
1: Um, but I really love that one. And um, there's a taco recipe in there that I really love. Um, and just lots of recipes as well that we've been cooking over the years that um that we've come to love and are really easy, really delicious and also just appropriate um for people with IBD as well.
0: Have you have you managed to try it out with with friends and family? Like outside of your obviously your your partner and so on, who's obviously got a vested interest, but it'd be fascinating to hear. Like, have you have you shared it? Shared some of those recipes with other people to get a bit of a um, a bit of their approval? If you
1: yes, like. yeah. So all year I've been um, foisting recipes on friends, whether they <laughs> like it or not. So during the summer when we had barbecues, I would make lots of the different dips and sauces and put those out and get people to eat them. And sometimes if I have like a, I've been shooting, so I've got like an overflow of recipes. Um, I make people come over for lunch. <laughs> <laughs> and get them to eat <laughs> as long as they give me their feedback. Um, and one of our close friends lives right down the road. So every time I've got um, lots of extra food from where I've been developing and then um, shooting, I'm like, you need to come and pick up some food. So i um, sending them away with lots of like Tupperware <laughs> to get their feedback. So that's been really useful. So everyone who's kind of given their feedback and their thoughts has been, um, yeah, it's been really invaluable for me as well.
0: Sounds like it was great to be in your orbit whilst this book was being produced. Yeah,
1: yeah, you'd think food so. just yeah. your way. <laughs> I think sometimes it's been a bit too much though when there's like the fourth tray of um, sweet potato brownie that's coming out. People are right. like, do you know what, this was great the first time and even the second time, but the fourth time I'm kind of done.
0: <laughs> was there any of those recipes where you just, refinement, just you just had to keep? keep trying it and tweaking it and changing it
1: yeah i would say the sweet potato brownie <laughs> it was yeah. yeah i think it's um
0: the theme with sweet potatoes but yeah, exactly. cause a difficulty yeah, for you they're
1: my nemesis vegetable apparently <laughs> um Yeah, I think as well, because I'm more of a natural cook rather than a baker. The sweet section was quite challenging for me. Um, And especially because of the nature of the disease, you don't want to load up with loads of um, sugar. So it was kind of trying to create recipes that were still really yummy and like sweet and like a treat, but things that aren't sort of, you know, like a whole tub of vegan butter is inside them. Um, so finding sort of sweetness from things like sweet potato or dates, um, a little bit of maple syrup. So yeah, those brownies, uh, did get made quite a lot as I was trying to find the right ratio <laughs> of like cocoa powder and how many dates to put in and, and all of that kind of stuff.
0: Was that element of making things kind of delicious, like you mentioned, like that you wanted there to be sweet treats and so on. Was that quite important to you from your experience of perhaps researching, you know, other maybe cookbooks or other resources for people with IBD. Because I could imagine, you know, when you say sweet potato brownie, I don't necessarily think... You know that would be in an IBD cookbook. I think you know that that might be in a, in any vegan cookbook that you could find, and you know, you, no no deprivation of, of any food type there. Um, but my uh, naive kind of like mindset going into it would be, you know, it'll be ultra healthy and quite you know almost joyless. Was it was <laughs> it really important to you to to bring as much of that that kind of joy and and normality, if you like, into this book?
1: Yeah, yeah, definitely. So kind of as I was saying before. Like, you know, it was quite important to me to be like, well, what distinguishes this cookbook? to be an IBD cookbook rather than just a plant-based cookbook because obviously there are lots mm. of vegan cookbooks you could get. But um, yeah, as before I said, this one, it's got um, nutritional advice kind of like in the the opening chapters or well, not advice because I'm not a nutritionist but kind of like some, mm. some information about how the digestive system works and like, you know, the role of fiber in IBD and like a few sort of evidence-based research um, studies around diet in relation to IBD. So it's got that. All of the recipes are obviously whole foods and plant-based, and then there's no raw veg. So I've got like a section on salads, but for instance, all of the salads are cooked. So um, you're not trying to battle with, you know, like a raw cucumber and then feeling (laughs) really gross. and yeah, no spice and um, lots of substitution options, so that again, you know, you're not kind of looking at the recipe and thinking, oh, well, I can't tolerate aubergine. What am I supposed to switch? Like, hopefully, it's got, like each page generally tends to have like a tip that's kind of in relation to to IBD. So, for instance, a few of the recipes have got um, turmeric in, and um, curcumin is like an active ingredient in turmeric, which um, has been kind of said to be helpful for people with um, ulcerative colitis. So just kind of different things like that, like peppered throughout the cookbook, and then of course like the the dessert section. I wanted it to be um, delicious, but also kind of healthy as well, because yeah, unfortunately, it's not the best thing for us to kind of load our bodies up on loads of sugar and like loads of butter and, and that kind of thing. Yeah.
0: Uh, just a, this is a sort of an off off the book question, but kind of connected. Like, how difficult is eating out with the current vegan options? as somebody with this kind of a condition?
1: Mm, I think that probably depends on where you live um, and mm. it probably depends on where you're at with your disease and how active it is. Because um, I, as I mentioned before, there was a time where I could barely eat solid foods like at all. So. Mm. I kind of wouldn't be going out. But then there have been times where I've not been in remission, but I've still been able to kind of eat out and live to kind of like 70% of like my max capacity. So I think it's just kind of um, maybe looking at menus in advance to see what they've got. And again, just avoiding... Um, things that are super um, maybe like uh, gluten heavy. Like I know personally that if I have like a a certain type of vegan burger that's like made of um, like seitan or something, it's going to sit like a brick in my stomach and it's going to make me feel unwell. So I think it's kind of knowing your own body and knowing um, what, what kind of triggers your body and what doesn't and then sort of using that as a steer as to what kind of foods and what kind of restaurants you should be aiming towards. But I think in general, things that are just kind of very easily digestible. Um, there's a really great restaurant in Bristol called Habesha, which is like Ethiopian and it's uh, just mm-hmm. so delicious and uh, really easy to digest. So that's an example from from my own life. <laughs>
0: Awesome. I love it. It'd be remiss of us not to tell folks where to go about getting a copy of your book. What what would they do? Where would they go?
1: Yeah, so it's going to be on pre-sale in December and it will be ready to ship in January. Um, I have a page on my website about the cookbook. My website is rosemurphy.net and it will be available on Amazon.
0: Awesome. I'll put links in the, the show notes and, I, and, I, and um, we'll also, I think... Uh, when it is released, we'll do. I'll do a little bit in the intro just to remind people to go back to this episode and check out those show notes and give it a click. Yeah, um, that would be
1: amazing. Thank you.
0: I think you know, if there's half a million people out there uh, that this could benefit, I think it's an amazing sort of service you're doing in, in producing this book and sharing your experiences. So, oh, thank you. Uh, it's awesome, really. is. thank you so much, um, and thanks for your time. I love chatting. Yeah, with you.
1: it's been really fun. Thank you so much for having me.